0: I'm Olivia Riggio with The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. On Inauguration Day, President Trump was supposed to save us from Satan-worshipping Democrats running underground siloes child sex trafficking rings, revealing the deep state cabal in an awakening called the storm that, of course, never happened. The QAnon conspiracy that began on the message board site 4chan in 2017 made claims that seemed too ridiculous to seep out from the fringe corners of the Internet. Yet the FBI has cited the far right Trump supporting community as a terrorist threat, which the Capitol Hill insurrection reiterated. Before President Biden's inauguration, a Colorado man named Cleveland Meredith Jr. drove to D.C. with heavy weaponry in his car, threatening to shoot House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in the head on live TV. But Meredith is not alone. He is just one member of this group that has been growing in numbers and formidability over the past few years. QAnon is entering the mainstream and the House of Representatives. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia's 14th District subscribes to QAnon's beliefs. Independent reporter Nicholas Powers recently published an article about the group and its weaponization of anti-Semitic imagery to push its conspiracies. Here, uh, He's here to talk with us today about what he called the monstrous sticky ball of the QAnon conspiracy. Thanks for joining us tonight, Nick.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me and, and for entertaining the sticky gooey ball of conspiracy theory. <laughs>
0: So excited to talk about this sticky gooey ball, but, uh, so. Like QAnon said, Donald Trump was supposed to save us um, from child predators who rule the media and government, gave us COVID through uh, 5G cell phone towers. How does a conspiracy like this gain enough traction to actually lead people to physically go attack the Capitol, drive to the inauguration with guns in their cars? We're at the point where a survey found that the majority of Republicans are saying it's true or mostly true.
1: It reminds me. The answer lies in this quote from Octavio Paz. He was uh, an incredibly um, powerful um, poet of Mexico. And he said, the danger of literature is not in the content, but the passion of its readers. So it's less the content of QAnon, which, you know, measured against other conspiracy theories, is kind of mundane and banal, but it's in the passion of the people who hear it who are thirsty for some explanation of the world that, um, reorients them as the center protagonists of their lives. So if they're feeling like they're slipping down, you know, a a glass wall and that they're descending into meaninglessness or that the world is changing too fast around them, you know, that they're bitter, that the media no longer reflects them and is now diverse and rainbow and that they're becoming a minority in their own country then that anger seeks an outlet and that anger is the emotional force that makes a rather kind of banal and not very interesting conspiracy theory um, into such a motivating force that people will lock and load put a matrix style you know stash of weapons in their car and drive across the country to right this great wrong and i think that's at the core of it it's a story in which you get to be the hero you get to be, you know, player number one and, you know, your, you know, gun simulator, one, you know, one person, you know, gun play. And um, and they show up. And to be honest, I'm I'm actually familiar with this type of thinking. Um, When I was uh, it was in the 90s, I was in Har- Hartford, Connecticut, and there was uh, a Nation of Islam mosque. And I remember going there a, a lot. I, I never joined the Nation of Islam because I couldn't deal with the bow ties like I had some fashion self-respect. And I wasn't into actually bean pies uh, because they tasted horrible, but I would hang around. And when I was hanging around, there was a lot of conspiracy theory. I mean, some of it, typical, stupid, anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, but others as well. You know, the Bilderberg's group, the Illuminati, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember feeling compelled by it. And again, what drove me to even let, like, give it an ear was I wanted a community. I wanted to be around these other men of color. I wanted to feel powerful and and belonged and loved and I was willing to put my skeptical brain in the refrigerator so that I could be part of the team. But it always just crossed the line for me and then, you know, eventually I re- I just felt that my self-respect and then also like, you know, my actual Jewish friends I couldn't betray the people in my life or my own self-respect to believe this, you know, these conspiracy theories. So I was lucky that at that young age, I had real loving relationships and I had inherited a sense of skepticism from my parent, my mom, that made sure I didn't get too deep into that world. And I saw the folly and the dead end and I pulled back. But I also lost a lot of friends because I could see them going further and further into that world. Um, because they were mm. wounded and they, and they needed the sense of self-righteousness to almost like a crutch. But instead of the crutch underneath your armpit, it's a crutch for your brain. And so they needed mm. that because they were, you know, they were walking around hurt. So I get it. I understand why people need conspiracy theories. But in the end, they get hurt. And then the people who they target wind up getting hurt.
0: Right. And we've been talking about, as we've been discussing QAnon over the past week, um, to prepare for our segment today, um, we've been talking about confirmation bias and how people are just, you know, a lot of times just going to believe the, um, the information that they agree with. And, um, and, you know, when someone is presented with facts that go counter to, what they want to believe or what they do believe um they kind of just shut down and um and and i think that that's been kind of apparent since since 2017 when q first began i mean the first q anon post was about um i believe Q said that Hillary was going to be arrested in 2017 and that obviously never happened but people instead were saying oh the problem is with us we must have misinterpreted that um that prediction it can't be Q um so do you think the i mean clearly nothing the storm did not happen on inauguration day a lot of people were discouraged. A lot of people felt bamboozled by QAnon, but some people are still subscribing to it. So do you think the embarrassment of its failed prediction um, caused a lot of these followers to be more cautious in the future? Or do you think um, we're going to see that confirmation bias where people are just going to make excuses and continue believing what they want to believe?
1: I think the answer to that is in the image that is in QAnon itself, the storm. I think this storm obviously turned out to be in a, a mirage, an illusion. It didn't happen. But the overall weather pattern always creates another storm. So is there going to be some kind of apocalyptic storm where, you know, the guards come in and flesh out the satanic pedophiles? Um, no, because the satanic pedophiles don't exist. But mm-hmm. the the real storm is going to be the next brewing cauldron in the sky, uh, in the kind of media, uh, landscape of conspiracy theory. So the conspiracy theory itself is a storm, not what it predicts as the final, you know, you know, the final decision, the final, the final quote unquote solution. It's, it's the conspiracy theory and it's driven by the wet weather patterns of, uh, media, uh, silos, um, Social displacement, anxiety, uh, definitely economic inequality, um, intellectual laziness that is coupled with an incredible amount of American exceptionalism and racial gender and class entitlement. And then on top of that, an intense fetishization of guns and violence that is just dripping through Almost every sitcom, every movie, every song, you know, it's just constantly dripping to our brains that the way that you settle questions is with violence and particularly guns. So you add all those factors up and that causes the weather pattern that creates a storm of conspiracy theory. So we saw this storm hit a kind of climax and, and dissipate a little bit. Some people are walking away, blinking Kind of stumbling out you know and then other people are going to ride this out until they get to the next storm because conspiracy theory is less about the actual target of the conspiracy than a, than a way of thinking and the way of thinking mm-hmm. can replace villains with another villain it can but it but it all revolves around you as a hero of the story who's going to right or wrong and so as long as you stay in the center and your community stays in the center the villains can have another face you know they could be reptiles alien reptile lizards <laughs> hiding under a human in a mask you know they could be the the construction workers putting up 5g uh you know maybe ne- the next day it's going to be hollywood executives or maybe you know clowns or delivery mm-hmm. people are going to be secretly poisoning our food i mean i don't know like you take a pick the villains are going to change right but the, that, the storm is the next storm is coming
0: and in there you did mention the the phrase, final solution. And that leads me to my next question. Let's talk about the anti-Semitic imagery and ideolo- ideologies that QAnon is using. There is the literal fact that there were insurrectionists at the Capitol wearing pro-Holocaust saying sweatshirts. But there's also mm-hmm. anti-Semitic propaganda more generally, and like I guess the storyline. So they're scapegoating this elite cabal um, controlling the government and media, killing children. Um, these were things that Hitler said about Jews during the Holocaust. So why are these anti-Semitic propagandistic tactics so effective and so dangerous?
1: Uh, one is a good argument of uh, the I Forgot the brother who wrote this book. He called Hitler's Hitler's willing executioners. And his basic theory was that um that the Nazis weren't these kind of like psychopathic, you know, um psychopaths, that they were actually kind of they came out of the soil of German culture, which was tr- deeply, deeply drenched in anti-Semitism. So, you know, this wasn't, you know, just simply like a, a one political party that, that went off the range. And so in that way, I, I think that. Um, our culture is implicitly drenched with anti-Semitism and then really all forms of racism, and so it's not surprising that these motifs then reappear in the conspiracy theories because they're kind of coming, they're they're being drawn organically from the soil of bigotry, and so the flowers of evil that are being plucked, you know, um, by the conspiracy theories, you know, it's just it's very easy for them to to reach. And you're right, like the some of the basic elements are there. They control. The media you know whoever they are right so before it was the elders of zion or the elders of the, pro- the protocols of the elders of zion and that was like the 19th century uh forged uh track that a lot of the anti-semites then drew their inspiration from and in it uh jews control the media they were egging on workers division and then not in the protocols of the elders of Zion, but a separate anti-Semitic image was the drinking of children's blood or using their blood for, uh, uh, I think it was Passover unleavened bread mm-hmm. for Passover. And again, you know, you look at QAnon, you know, the, the satanic pedophiles. They control the media. They're egging on uh, cultural division with Black Lives Matters. So they drink children's blood. They're literally, you know, stirring a big ladle in a pot filled with little baby bits and pieces and they're pouring little baby ears and toes into someone's soup bowl. I mean, so what happens is, is that even if they're not explicitly targeting Jews, they're using the same motifs and and it's what the shared element is, the narrative element that the, the bridges is it's an eliminationist narrative. It's saying that those others are so evil that they actually kill babies, so they themselves must be killed. And that's the thing that people are consistently missing, is that this is really a call for justifying murder and for making murder um, an actual moral good. And so one of the things I did, uh, there was a class I was teaching on on, uh, the literature of class consciousness, and so we looked at excerpts of Mein Kampf. And that's exactly what the Nazi ideology tries to do, is that it tries to make the murder of innocent people into a moral good by saying that these people Mm -hmm. are infesting Europe or in the case of black people, that they're not human, that they're more monkeys than men and women. So, you know, they're animals or that they're a secret cabal, but they're not human. They're not human. And so if you kill someone who's not human, you're pruning the tree of life of its dead branches so that the true master race can continue flourishing up until the stars. So Mm -hmm. it's an eliminationist narrative. And that's why we have a majority, the representative majority uh, green, Mm -hmm. you know, basically caught on tape and and what's what people should pay attention to is the pride that one takes in talking of the murder of other people, the joy, the intoxicating rage. I love killing I love killing Democrats. I love killing them. Mm-hmm. You know, they should die. We need to take them out. And so that's right. the goal of that eliminationist rhetoric to make that, that face joyful at murder. And that taps into a very, very base animal desire that unfortunately is, you know, part of our evolutionary heritage.
0: Now, I want to continue this conversation, but I'm going to have to cut you off. Um, but for our listeners, to read Nick's piece, um, it's called QAnon Recycles Anti-Semitic Imagery to Sell Self-Hatred. Um, you can visit independent.org and you can learn more about QAnon and its different tactics.